All right. By the seat of my pants, guys. We are back. It missed the opening segment, and now the computers are uh, back up and running on the phone with the engineer during the break, doing 100 things at once, and somehow in that four minutes. So you do, man. You just make adjustments. Like I said, the Cajuns have done a good job of making in-game adjustments. But I got to tell you, last Sunday night, it didn't matter what kind of adjustments the Buck kind of Bucks made. The only thing they needed to adjust was probably Tom Brady at the chiropractor with some TB12 to readjust his back and his ego because that was as thorough a beatdown as we've seen the Saints put on a worthy opponent in quite some time. And here to talk about that in the latest Pels rumors and more is our good friend from the Crescent City, Mr. Gus Cattengale. Good morning, Gus. How are you, my friend? Hey, good morning, man. How are you? Oh, this will be this 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 will be great, Gus. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Now we got him. All right, Five, again, working on everything this morning. All right, one more time, Gus. How are you this morning, my friend? Doing well, man. It sounds like you're having a fun morning. It, it was it was interesting, you know. I came in a little before six, and uh, none of the uh, computers are working in the in the studio. And then I had to do a hit on some other stations in the building. But guess what? We're officially back. We were up and running, and uh, I didn't miss a single snap, if you will. Wow. There you go. Well, you know what? That's called uh, adjusting on the fly, like you uh, were talking about. That's also right. Also, having a good game plan and being able to what, uh, perform under pressure, man. And I'll tell you what, it kind of goes back to what you were just saying a little bit ago with how the Saints formed in that game against Tampa, man. It's you know, literally a reason why on Tuesday on our show I said, hey, uh, it is it, a top five best coach, best game called game that Sean Payton has had, right? I mean, it's, it, you put it up there. You snapshot it. You put it on a mantle there, and you go back and talk about it. Cause that's just not normal, dude. But they did. They did a ridiculous job. It really was something, man. I mean, it. it, it, it they've had some pretty big, you know, thorough lopsided wins, whether it be against Philly in 2018 or the Falcons on Thanksgiving that year or the Cowboys in 2013. But I think the Cowboys in 06 on Sunday night in Dallas and then the Patriots in 09, and we knew the Saints were really good in 09. They hadn't lost yet. But in regards to kind of the rest of the the, the league and pundits and others kind of taking notice. It was kind of like a statement game. Now, the Saints are in a very different place as a franchise now than they were then. I mean, they've been good the last couple of years. They, they won a Super Bowl 10 years ago. So they're in a little bit of a different spot, but it did feel like, um, you know, and, and look, with good reason, it was all right. You know, they're, they're, they got a good record, but we're looking at, you know, the last – you know, they're coming into that game on a four-game winning streak by a grand total of 15 points total. You know, so you and I both picked the Saints to win against the Bucks, but you and I did not think they were going to win by five touchdowns. Neither did anyone else. So was I surprised the Saints won? No. Was I pleasantly surprised at how thorough of a beatdown that was? Absolutely, and I think everybody was, Gus. Absolutely. I think that was the theme from anyone I talked to this week. No one saw that kind of win, but it's something that's been interesting that I've brought up to all our guests this morning, and uh, is that I think when you look at it, I don't think what the Saints did was fluky, if that makes any sense. And when you look at that game and how they won, you start with the most simplistic of things. They won their one-on-one battles. 
They won at the line of scrimmage. They pressured Tom Brady. Again, from Brady to Breeze to, you know, uh, a bum. If you pressure a quarterback, it's going to make things easier. If you get pressure, the quarters, safeties will be able to make plays. They made interceptions in that nine pass defense. I mean, they have several pass defenses, nine quarterback hits. So when you do all those different things, you're going to get pass defenses, you're going to get pressures, you're going to get turnovers, you're going to more than likely win games. Again, I think it coincides with complementary football in that when you did get those possessions, thanks to the defense, the offense cashed in. Not field goals, but touchdowns. And then, you know, you're looking in there and poor Al Michael sounded like his puppy died. I mean, he's sitting there in the first quarter and he's like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Clearly he laid money on the Bucks oh, because yeah. – <laughs> you can just tell in their tone of voice, but Scott, that's the thing. It's 7, 14, 21, and then, dude, there isn't a game plan in football where you could be down that many touchdowns early and trying to get back in the game. You're scrambling and you're looking up. So that was, I guess, the perfect recipe for what we saw on Sunday. The Saints, you know, open up with the three and out to hit. You know, Brady, and next thing out, to go right down the field and score a touchdown. And another three and out, they score a touchdown. It's 14 nothing. So, right from the get-go, they, uh, they established that tempo, that pattern. And then from that point on, Tampa had to, you know, try to fight back the entire way. You know, I, I spent so much time breaking down the game beforehand thinking, okay, two things. One, who gets consistent pressure on the quarterback? And two, who wins the special teams battle? Whoever does will win the game. Well, the Saints won those two things, but in the end, it really wasn't a big story because it was a blowout. I mean, they won everywhere else. But let's let's focus on the first of those two things for a moment, Gus, because I think it is worth noting that from a pass rush standpoint, it was the best performance of the season for the Saints. Now, some of that is aided by being up by three scores in the second quarter and being able to pin your ears back, particularly in the second half. I get it. But go back to the, the the first couple of three and outs. Brady was under duress. I mean, first offensive snap of the game, Cam Jordan, who's not getting shipped, who's not getting doubled. Guess what? Marcus Davenport helps, guys. He's out there, and he's getting a hand on Brady and, and adjusting, you know, making him throw that pass wobbly and, and, and basically disrupting it, and it's incomplete. And, you know, you're kind of up and running. They they Tampa set an NFL all-time NFL record for least amount of rushes and when you're suddenly down and getting your butt whooped and think you can throw your way out of the game when you can't, that kind of stuff happens. So I acknowledge that the way the game played out helped in that regard, but right out the gate, you could see the difference there, right? You could see them making an impact. And then conversely, I mean, Tampa's secondary is a little inexperienced and 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 you can get them. But what they've been what they benefited from, Gus, is they benefited from having a really, really strong front seven. And and I, I I said it early in the season, and I'll say it again, the Bucs are absolutely missing Vita Vey, but they were still able to shut teams down run-wise. Saints ran the ball on them, you know, pretty well. They were still able to get pressure on the quarterback. Breeze had a clean pocket for most of the night. In the trenches, it is it is it was as as solid a performance by the Saints in the trenches as I've seen in a long time. That's where it starts, Scott. And I think the other thing that stands out to me in terms of game planning, you know, I kept thinking of that NFC Championship game, all the noise, the crowd here where the Saints are hosting the Rams, and they 
you know, the next day, everyone wanted to talk about the call, but I was like, man, the game plan that McVay had with golf was perfect. Golf never had the football. The second it touches his hands, it's out of there. Everything was short. The deep shots they took were off of play action, and they actually used the same aggressiveness. You go back to this year and the game plan that Green Bay had against the Saints, and you saw almost the same thing. Even the broadcast was mentioning using the Saints' aggressiveness. You saw, you know, the play starting one way and then going the other way. You know what I saw Sunday? What I've been screaming all week. Uh, all year, even my intern was like, man, Breeze can't do it anymore. I'm like, come on, man. That guy trains with Marines and does all this other stuff. He can roll out. We saw a rollout or two, Scott. I mean, we saw Breeze roll out and, and move the pocket. And that's what you have to do. Again, that's why I put it in one of the top five games called by Sean Payton. It was a perfect game plan. Breeze never really had the ball. He spread it around everywhere, and he used the Bucks' aggressiveness against them. And, uh, I, again, it, it was just something that you have to credit the offensive line, especially when you see the injuries that they've had to deal with. I mean, they've been banged up all season, and you look at the injury report from this week, and you got two of the starting five there, you know, and you can probably just go ahead and say Armstead and Pete aren't feeling well. <laughs> so, I mean, it's crazy um, what they've been able to do. And, look, you – You've been able to rotate Easton coming back and Ruiz at the same time, and that's not easy to do when you're thinking of constantly changing your right guard. But you saw the plays that Easton came in. They were either big runs or special plays that happened. So, again, it's one of those rare games, dude, where everything that Sean Payton brought up or everything that Sean Payton called worked. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you fumble at the one early in the game, and it it just it's I don't want to say it's forgotten, but you weren't thinking about it too much. Like ten minutes later, even even five minutes later, when Harris returns a punt to the thirty-five of the Bucks, it's kind of like, oh yeah, okay, no problem. Like everything, just even when it didn't work, it quickly worked. Uh, having said that, Gus, I think there's going to be an emotional letdown. I think it's natural. I think I've seen it in sports a ton. I don't think the Saints are losing Sunday because the Niners are very, very shorthanded. But we've look, we've seen the Saints struggle to put away the Chargers, right? They needed a doink and then overtime to do it. We've seen them battle back to get by the Bears in overtime. We saw them in plenty of close games before the annihilation we witnessed on Sunday night. We were all witness to a crime that just you can't charge because it's in the confines of play. I don't think we're going to see that Sunday. I would love it. I mean, look, it's the Niners. I mean, any Saints fan would love, loves when the, I mean, just PTSD. They love beating the Niners. And then, but the Niners are just, they're, they're so shorthanded right now, you know, with, with, with no Raheem Mostert, Jeremy Garoppolo, Nick Bosa, George Kittle. They're just very, very shorthanded. But to think, I, I am not, I'll just say it. I am not expecting the Saints to come out and dominate the way they did on Sunday. I think there'll be some lapses here and there, but ultimately, are they going to cover nine and a half? I, I wouldn't bet on it. I mean, I'm not betting, period. I wouldn't bet on it. Are they going to win? Yes, I think so. But I, I think regardless of what happens Sunday, I think it's a win, and I don't think it means the Saints are suddenly back to winning close games or anything. I just, I'm expecting it coming off of the emotional high that was Sunday night. That's me. What's your take on the matchup this Sunday? It's interesting. You got a handful of things there that I want to touch on. Because, A, you mentioned earlier 
about the games that they won. They won three straight games by three points. And you mentioned the totality of it being, you know, under 20 points, what, 15 or something. 15 in the, um, in, the, in the previous four wins, 15 total. That's not a lot. Yeah. I mean, so, look, but you heard them after the game talk about how that was going to build character and that's going to be able to uh, have them help grow as the season continues and such. And that's what I kept pointing out on our show was that you just look at it and say, look, there's certain games you just get out of there. But you saw certain things coming back or certain things improving, right? Um, this team has shown the ability, if you just go back to the, the three-point win, they showed an ability to come back. They showed an ability to make winning plays and find a way to win at the end of the year. I mean, you know, you look at the Cajuns' record, you look at LSU's record, you look at Tulane's record, you look at the Saints' record. You look at the wins and losses. You know, you and I spend a week going back and forth of, what you saw in the wins and the losses. But did they win? Did they lose? And at the end of the day, this week, the Saints have spent the entire week on top of the NFC. Number one. So that's a pretty big accomplishment because it's what my team's been all week. That win Sunday means nothing this Sunday, but it means something. It means nothing because it's a fresh game, a new game, obviously, and that game plan doesn't matter with this one. It's a different team, but so it doesn't mean anything, but it does mean something in that you've put yourself in a position to essentially kind of control your destiny. This quarter of games in which you face the Falcons twice and then also have two opponents that right now offensively shouldn't be able to match you in Denver and also in San Francisco. Now, that Denver game is the first of three straight on the road, so it's something to think about, but you don't want to be that last quarter of games where you face at the Eagles, Kansas City, the Vikings, which is just always a tough matchup for the Saints for some reason, and you close out at Carolina. So I don't want it to be three of the last four, even two of the last three to try to win the division or maybe get the top seed of the NFC. you got to go 3-1 and one, if not 4-0 in this quarter of games. Don't take care of your business right now, especially with two of those being here at home. And, I, you know, I, I've been saying I want a three-quarter game. I'm with you, Scott. I think one of the things we saw on Sunday was the Saints team locked in, man. And I don't know if you and I talked about it on Friday, but I was bringing it up all last week. Drew Brees' comments, remember, nine to 12 seconds apiece, dude. I think I even said it on your yeah, show. You I did. Said, when you hear yeah. Drew Brees talk that short, that dude is locked in. <laughs> so, um, you know, yesterday, Sean Payton answered three questions. So, uh, for whatever or however they want to get motivated, maybe it's the team that beat them last year. Maybe it's the history. Maybe it's just as simple as them going, hey, we just saw on Sunday the Steelers have to eat out a win against the Cowboys. It's the NFL. It's hard to win. Would I like a three-quarter game? I want that mentality. I want to see James in the fourth, you know? I mean, but take care of your business in three quarters and then move on forward because you have Atlanta next week. And you're right. This game has all the makings and trappings of a trap game. Yeah, ESPN1420and.com. So I think a couple of things to unpack there. Um, with only the one buy. It, it it's just to put a, a value on it, to put a price tag on it. I don't think you can, especially for a team with, you know, 
uh, an older quarterback that is going to be limited probably every week of the season from here on out on Wednesday and Thursday in practice. But the Saints, you know, are 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 three times, Gus, three times since the NFL went to to bye weeks in the in the playoffs. Three times in the history of the playoffs has a team finished thirteen and three and not earned a bye. Uh, two of those three times, it was the Saints. And both of those seasons in it in very disappointing fashion. One, ugh, I hate to even bring it up, but 2011 to San Francisco, Candlestick Park. And the other was last year. So now that's going to happen a little more often since only one team gets a bye. But when you look at the Saints' schedule, they're probably going to be favored in the rest of their games. Now, I know they got Kansas City. They might not be favored in that one, Gus, but it's at home. So it might be a picket, right? I think they're going to be favored in all their other games this year, barring injury and some some unforeseen things, right? Green Bay, they they they're not. If the playoffs started today, everyone's like, "Oh, the Saints would be the one seed." Well, they don't start today, and the only reason the Saints would be the one is because of a three way tie between them, Green Bay, and Tampa. So if it just comes down to them and Green Bay with the same record, and Tampa's nowhere even close to sniffing it, then look out, right? You're 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 going on the road and. Maybe the NFC runs through Lambeau. And, yeah, I'm looking ahead, but that's what you do when you're a team at Super Bowl or bust. Green Bay's schedule, Gus, I mean, they they got a game at Indy, and you saw what the Colts did last night. I mean, they, you know, Tennessee special teams and defense is awful. But, like, that's a game Green Bay will probably be favored in. They have Jacksonville this week. They get the Bears twice, and the Bears aren't playing as good as they were early in the season. They get the Eagles, who are out of the NFC least. They get the Lions. I mean, that you can usually chalk that up to a W. They have the Titans at home, but it's, you know, it's on a Sunday night. And then you got the Panthers. Like, I, they're not going to go 14-2 and two in neither of the Saints. But my point is, at this point, if you want to think big picture, you got to finish a game better than them. And both of these teams will likely be favored in the rest of their ball games this year, give or take maybe one game each where they're not. So um, at this point, I'm not expecting Tampa to finish with the same record as the Saints. or Not to say it can't happen. I'm just not expecting it with the same record as the Saints and Packers. It, the race to one to me right now in the NFC, especially the way Seattle's defense is looking, I think is between the Saints and Green Bay. And they've got the tiebreaker over you unless it's a three-way tiebreaker. So you got to just you got to you got to stay ahead of them and there and therefore you cannot have a slip up now that you've got a roster that right now is about as intact as it's been all season from a health standpoint. Now that you've got some momentum, now that you've got first place, you just can't afford to take your foot off the pedal because if you do, Green Bay is going to end up grabbing that bye. Yeah, and that's what I mean by by saying, hey, look, that win means nothing and something at the same time. It puts yourself in a situation to to look at it. You know, something else we did this week along the lines of what you're kind of touching on, and I'll get your take on it, man. Don't do you remember we spoke on your show? where we thought the Saints were going to have one of the deepest, the most talented rosters Sean Payne's ever had. Yep. And we both agreed to that. And then we also both agreed, unfortunately, the NFC looks to be the toughest it's ever been <laughs> for the Saints this year to try to get out of the NFC. And the AFC was, you know, we'll see the Chiefs, maybe the Ravens they want to do there. And yet, here we are going to the week and pretty much every single sports site or sports reporters, power five, top five rankings, have more AFC teams mm-hmm. than NFC teams. Now, the Colts beating the Titans yesterday, Tennessee, I'm not buying them as being a top-five team, um, but I think 
when you look at what Pittsburgh's record is, it's pretty good. Buffalo seven and two showed how good they can be. And then obviously KC being eight and one. And then you look at the NFC, Scott, and you tell me if the NFC is what we thought. I mean, second place in the North is the Bears. We've played them. I mean, that team's lost, what, three, four games in a row after five wins. Um, there are the Vikings getting better. But still, the Packers are in first. We saw them. We were tied with them in the fourth quarter. And the Saints didn't Taysom's get the job fumble. done that yeah, night. Yeah. Exactly. Um, the Bucks. we've seen them twice. You have the tiebreaker against them. And in the NFC West, everyone keeps saying about how bad Seattle's defense is. We've seen the Cardinals and Rams. They're five and three. And then there's your Niners, which is why I think this game is key. It's, it is for them. Look, they, they can look at it one or two ways. You know, um, they will see it next year with all the injuries. You can't really make a run. Let's get a nice draft pick. Not that I think people sort of totally think that way, but they were a win away from 500. They're only two wins away from the first place in the division um, in terms of wins. Now they're three losses back, but if they get a win Sunday, they're five and five. Cardinals are five and three. Rams are five and three. Seahawks are six and two. So, but my point is when you look at all, all the way on the NFC, I think the Saints are one or two or three, right? At, at, at worst. No, abso- absolutely. They're playing well. Last last mm-hmm. last week, I, I did a, a you know contender versus pretender list. I had two. This was last week. I had two teams in the AFC. I had the Chiefs and I had the 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 Steelers. I had the Ravens on the Bills just on the outside because I have some doubt. I'm talking Super Bowl championship, right? I had some doubts in terms of their style of play and how it would hold up against a Kansas City or a Pittsburgh in a title game. Um, but but those two teams are good. And then you've got some other teams. Look, they're not going to win the Super Bowl or anything, but you know the Dolphins are a good team. For, 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 for example, the team with the best point differential in the NFC, right? And this is you know how many points you've scored more than your opponent this season. And everyone in the NFC East, by the way, is far in the negatives. Everyone in the NFC West is in the positives. In the NFC, the leader is the Arizona Cardinals at plus 54. For, for comparison... In the AFC, they, the Dolphins are plus 61. The Steelers, Ravens, Colts, Chiefs, all much higher than that uh, of the Cardinals who are tops in the NFC. So in the NFC, I felt like the top of it wasn't as strong as the AFC in terms of the Chiefs and Steelers, but there's there's more contenders. And last week, I listed the Saints, the Packers, the Bucks and the Seahawks and said every one of them has deficiencies, right? Every one of them has holes. And, and uh, you know, a guy, Norman, who co-hosts me on Thursdays, he's like, I'm not trusting Seattle either, not with that defense. And now I'm thinking, you know, he might be right. I think the NFC West teams are good, but can one of them go to the Super Bowl? Now it might be down to three. You look at what Tampa did to Green Bay, but then you look at what the Saints did to Tampa. My point is, I, I feel like in the NFC, I'm, people are saying it's wide open. It's I don't know that it's wide open, but I, I think there's three to four teams, probably three, that can come out of the NFC, and it's going to depend on the bye, health, and you know a little bit of luck, because it always does in the NFL. Um, and, and in the AFC, you know, Chiefs, Steelers. So, yeah, Gus, in terms of actual contenders right now, halfway through the season, and, and, a, and a little slightly more than halfway for a couple of teams that have played nine games – I think you've got about five contenders right now, legit contenders that can win it all. 
in the in the NFL, and the Saints are one of those five, no question. I agree. And look, you know what's crazy is you look at the AFC too, and the teams that are coming out of there that look to be the contenders rather than pretenders, like you're referring to. Um, I had this conversation with a buddy of mine Sunday watching the game. I, I look, I love Mahomes in Kansas City, but they definitely don't look like the team from last year that's, um, un, you know, unbeatable and just smoking people by 30, 40 points. Now they're finding a way to win, and you have an MVP. So, yes, that's why they are where they are. They're going to be really tough, but you can envision and see some teams giving them a close game and making it interesting, right? And look, you look at the games last year, man, in which they they had to go through the AFC to get to the Super Bowl. They had to come back double digits most of the time. So I, I'm interested in, to see, if, especially if the Saints play a clean game, in other words, five penalties or less, no turnovers, coming up here in December against the Chiefs just to kind of see a barometer of where they are. But, you know, Pittsburgh has had an incredible season, and they're 8-0, and and it's a lot to do with their defense. But, you know, they've been in some games, too, that can go either way. But, look, it comes down to this. Do you have a quarterback that's elite? And to me, elite is a quarterback that can make the right decisions. Uh, When things go well, it's easy, right? I mean, you can – make those highlight throws and your pockets clean. You can look incredible and look like Madden. But I think you earn that elite status to me when the bleep hits the fan, when it's not working, when you literally have practice squad players and it's your running back against the Bears defense. And I'm referring to Drew Brees, man. He's not getting any talk about the MVP because I think a lot of it's about stats and stuff. I think Alvin Kamara actually is this team's MVP because without them, who knows where this team sort of is, win-wise. But um, he's proving and showing in his final year, what I think is his final year, right? Drew Brees is showing why he's a Hall of Famer. Um, He's had a deal without his number one receiver. He finally develops a chemistry with Emmanuel Sanders who didn't have to sit out two weeks due to COVID. You literally are bringing up guys on practice squads to try to win. And your defense can't stop anybody. And you luckily have a running back that basically can give him the ball any which way and he can help you win. And yet you find a way to. And that's why I think if you're a Saints fan, you have to be feeling good because it can't get worse. You you hit worse. You won five games last year without your quarterback. And I think it maybe might have set the groundwork to be able to overcome key injuries, overcome big plays, that we're missing because of guys like Thomas or offensive linemen or other receivers or even your quarterback. You've had to play without Kamara. You've had to play without Breeze. You've had to play without Thomas. Yet this team wins. Um, I I think that's a a DNA that makes it to where you can go win the big game, man. And when you go back to 09, we tend to forget a lot of times that there was a series of events, a series of games, whether it was a year or two before that or in that season that helped you build that year that you win the championship, right? I don't know if you have the game that you have against the Redskins where it was back and forth. If you aren't used to having a battle back and, and still find a way to win and your guys want it. Um, I use it a lot in reference when we're talking about LSU this year in terms of 
you know, why these guys aren't playing the way they are. Michael, look, man, you lose 19 of 20. Those guys are NFL players. You can give me all you want about next man up, but that next man up hasn't played anything. He hasn't gotten beaten by Alabama. He hasn't gotten beaten by some of these other teams. He hasn't been on the field and made tackles. He just stepped on the field wearing the uniform. He thinks he's a champ. And you talk to former players, and that's what they're telling you is the problem over there. So you, you have to have your lumps. And I think you look at this roster, how many lumps can you take, right, Scott? I mean, Minnesota, the Rams, first-round exit, you – You've gotten lumped, man. And so you have, I think, a group of guys in that locker room that aren't going to be phased by adversity, aren't going to be phased by knowing, or not knowing, rather, the long-term goal and knowing that it's a long season and that your goals are still there. And to them, it doesn't matter. Like, legitimately, I don't think it matters if you win by one or if you win by 30. Um, And I think that's why he saw them celebrating the way they did, and you haven't seen them the way they are. They're putting in the work in the week. And for them, I think those videos of you seeing them celebrate says so much about that locker room. You see Sean dancing with the players. You see even Drew getting in on it. It, it, it's It's a group that's together. It's a common goal and collective. And, you know, Scott, you go back to the summer when you had basically a mutiny on that team against Drew Brees, and now you see how they're reacting. You, I mean, look, I, I, I know right now Tomlin's probably coach of the year or some of that. I don't know how Sean Payton them get credit, especially if this team wins the NFC, because the job that he's had to do with this team, with the expectation levels, and if they do go to Tampa and at least play in that game, it might be his best coaching job. ESPN 1420.com, uh, they've got a ways to go, but they're on the right track, and to your point, the, the the adversity along the way. I mean, just just win those close games. Just win them um, every time, and don't apologize. Learn from it. Move on. But you know, you get other guys that get reps, that get touches. It definitely helps. I think overall, you know, a Marquez Callaway has the confidence to go out there and make a play when he needs. Um, just Deontay Harris now in the receiving game can make a play in the offense can do things and maybe you could have done it all along but when you get to a point later in a season where okay we got to call someone's number in this moment um you, you, chances are they're going to have had their number already called this season instead of okay can they get it done they're going to have the confidence to get it done but it's 2020 Gus we got a long way to go and so much can change between now and then all you can do is focus on the present and um Hopefully they can get the W this Sunday. I expect them to, though I don't think it is going to be as aesthetically um, entertaining and pleasing as what we saw last Sunday night. But having said all that, Gus Cattengale of ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans is our guest. Before I let you go, real quick, Pelicans talk. Uh, we know the dates now. What, free agency um, starts a week from today. Players can officially sign a week from Sunday. The draft is Wednesday. Trade windows opening up. Drew Holiday's name is all over the place. I could go a lot of places right here, Gus. My only question to you before we let you run, is Drew traded before the the, the draft in six days? Is he traded during the draft? Is he traded after? Or is he on the Pelicans when they tip off the season in uh, you know a couple days before Christmas? I think there's so much chatter right now that it's hard for me to believe that he won't be traded on draft day or right before the draft. Um, 
I just it just makes a lot of sense to me for that to happen if that's going to happen, right? Um, but last week I said I thought the Pelicans were in a great position of power to broker in terms of you have the commodity that people want. There is no rush. And thankfully and luckily, it's not a situation where you have a disgruntled player. You don't have Russell Westbrook saying he wants out. You don't have AD saying, I'm not signing my extension. You don't have Drew Holiday saying, hey, look, I'm declining my player option. I'm going to be a free agent. So, so whoever signs me, be wary. He's not saying anything. And I think it goes to the relationship this organization has with him of understanding that I think to me it's a win-win situation for both. I legitimately feel that way. He's been everything you want from a player that you've given a max contract to. Um, he went through something that I don't think anybody saw coming or should have to go through with the AD situation. And, you know, he was put in a situation where he had to speak on behalf of the team. He literally had to answer questions for AD while AD was practicing behind him the week that AD said he was going. And he waited five days to actually, you know, speak on his behalf. That, to me, um, has earned enough respect that basically whatever Drew wants, I'm willing to help out with. Okay? Because that, to this day, is one of the worst things I've ever seen, that you're going to make somebody on your team have to go out and answer questions as to why you want to leave because you don't want to do it. So that said a lot to me about character. Um, you have a guy that's a, a great community leader. You have a guy that is a lockdown defender, is a leader in the locker room, can provide points. So he helps your basketball team in every single way. Um, so you don't have to get rid of him. Um, you can obviously, obviously make sure that he you know, is – a guy that can help you in a number of different ways. So I, I think, Scott, when you look at it from that perspective, I'm sure you've had conversations. I'm sure you've talked. And there's a mutual understanding and agreement. Hey, look, let's get uh, the best thing for us. If, if it's a chance for him to get a championship, because he can be one of those guys that can be that missing piece for a team, because he can be that lockdown defender for, say, the Celtics or the Bucks or the Heat, um, maybe even the Sixers. But if you can do that, then, I mean, that's, that's somebody that is, is valuable. So um, if you can get a couple of pieces in return, that's fine. What I find interesting is in some of the people that I've talked to this week, there is a lot of belief for some reason that uh, the Pelicans have targeted somebody in the draft that they really, really like. And it's in the top five. And it just really seems by everybody I've talked to that that is what they're trying to do, is trying to get up there to go get somebody um, you know, from the kid from USC who's been compared to basically a guy that could play like Draymond Green. Um, and then you just look at who can fit in this Van Gundy offense, right? You need shooters. You need ball handlers. Uh, you maybe don't exactly need maybe that size or that you would want. So I, it, it's just it's very interesting to me from the people that I've talked to this week that they've identified it looks like a player if not two, that they want to go get, and it kind of seems like they're angling to do that. Because I was surprised at first that Drew Holiday would be traded for a draft pick or a high draft pick, because this isn't a draft that, like, screams out to me. Right. Um, and yet it sort of seems like that's the route they're going. It'll be interesting to follow here. Gus Catanio has been our guest. Give him a follow on Twitter at GCAT underscore one seven. Host of the Sports Hangover, noon to 3 p.m. every weekday, ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans, one of my favorite shows of all time. 
one of my favorite guests of all time and uh, my good buddy. I appreciate the time, brother, as always, man, and uh, let's chat again soon, all right? Sounds good, man. Take care, buddy. Good stuff.